we looked at verses 1 through 4 on Sunday morning and talked about leaving the world behind. Well, tonight we're going to read the entirety of the chapter and we're going to just kind of uh, summarize it and uh, take away as much from the chapter as we can. I've entitled the lesson tonight, the Bible study, and one thing about trying to cover so much material, and that's one thing I try to do on Wednesday night, I try to cover as much as I possibly can on a Wednesday night. Sunday mornings, uh, with with, with singing and worship, I'm limited as to how much I can cover, so I, I, I narrow it down a little bit, but on Wednesday nights with no singing, and us not uh, spending time in worship, I try to cover more and uh, get more contact text and, and, and dig in a little deeper. And so when you try to cover an entire chapter and try to title it, uh, you can't always come up with nice, cute titles. But tonight, I've simply entitled this, Choices, Con- Consequences, and Conflict. And I believe that's kind of a summary of what Genesis 13 is all about. It's about choices, consequences, and conflict, and I believe there's some very important lessons that we can take away from this chapter. So Genesis chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It'll be on the screen. Hope you have your Bible with you as well. But you can look at the screen or you can look in your own Bible and you can follow along. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Choices, consequences, and conflict. Every day we make choices, don't we? We choose what we're going to wear. 
what we're going to eat, what time we're going to leave home, or if we're going to leave home at all. We choose how we're going to spend our time. We choose what we're going to say. We choose how we're going to respond if someone asks a question of us. Every day we make hundreds, if not thousands, of choices. The people who make good choices, they have a tendency to succeed in life, and those who make poor choices have a tendency not to succeed. In fact, the choices we make in life often determine the path that we travel. And the choices we make often determine the enjoyment we experience in living. In fact, decisions often determine destiny. Decisions today often determine our destiny tomorrow. Think about that. That many of us are often living out today decisions we've made in our past. That where we are right now is really the consequence or the outcome, so to speak, of a decision we've made months, if not years, ago. Am I right? In other words, I'll just say it like this, choices have an effect on our lives. And when I was in youth ministry, that's what I tried to get across to young people. Choices have consequences. Choices have an effect on your future. That what you decide to do now will determine where you end up later on in life. And so as we look at this passage tonight, we're going to see that choices have consequences and choices can also lead to conflict between people and that is a consequence of a choice. Choices can lead to conflict. And so tonight we're going to study this passage and we're going to learn about making good choices how many know it's good to make good choices, wise choices? We're going to talk about dealing with the consequences of sin. And we're going to talk about handling conflict. Because we've all been in conflict before, haven't we? And so the first thing I want to notice tonight, number one, is I want to talk about the consequences of sin. Or the consequences of, of disobedience. You could, you could label it either way you want to. But if you want to take notes, or if you're one who likes to write down little things, I want you to write this down. Your past sin will impact your present life. Your past sin will impact your present life. The truth is, the fact is, the reality is, what you've done in the past will often impact you in the present. It's the principle that you reap what you sow. That things we've done in our past often follow us into our future and we have to reap what we've sown. Things that we've done in our past will follow us into our future and we're going to have to suffer the consequences of things that we've done in our past. Even if we've forsaken it, even if we've got forgiveness of it, things that we have done in the past can still affect our present day. You think about people that have smoked and have not touched it for years can still have to deal with the consequences and effects of what they've done in their past. People that have abused alcohol and drugs in their past can still have to deal with the effects of it today in their present because our past sin can affect our present life. We reap what we sow. 
Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 verse 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You're going to reap what you sow. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you're going to reap what you sow. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. In other words, if you go out and live a sinful lifestyle and sow to the flesh, guess what? You're going to reap from that lifestyle. You're going to reap from the things that you do in this body. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, if you do things to build up the spiritual man, if you do things to honor and glorify God, it's going to benefit you and help you spiritually. I'll say it like this. You've probably heard me say it before. Whichever one you feed is going to be the one that rules you and dominates you. If you feed the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. But if you'll feed the Spirit, the Spirit will guide you and the Spirit will control you and the Spirit will direct you and the Spirit will have charge over your life. Let me ask you tonight, which one's in charge of your life? It's whichever one you're feeding. Amen? If you're constantly watching things you don't need to watch, listening to things you don't need to listen to, you're feeding the flesh and you're going to end up reaping from those actions. You see, people all the time want to say, Pastor, I can't control my thoughts. And here's the thing, what are you putting into your life? Because if you're putting in the things that are, that, are, that, are, that are causing you to think lustful thoughts, you have to go back to what you're listening to and what you're watching. Because those things affect you. You're reaping what you've sown. You've sown those things into your life and now you're, you're, you're reaping it. And so here in chapter 13, Abraham, he's reaping the consequences of his disobedience by going down to Egypt. God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. He went by his own will. He went by his own purpose. He went by his own plan. And now he's having to deal with the conflict and fallout between him and Lot. He's having to deal with it because of his own disobedience. It's followed him now back into the promised land because he disobeyed God. You see, the wealth that he had accumulated, the Bible makes it clear that he's got cattle, he's got silver, he's got gold, but it wasn't a blessing, it was a curse. It's creating conflict between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. It's became a problem. It is a consequence of his decision. It is a consequence of the choice he made to get outside of the will of God. But there's also a great lesson here when it comes to worldly possessions and worldly riches. Worldly possessions acquired by worldly means often lead to worries. Amen? In other words, the person who lives for this world will constantly be worried about their money and possessions. Let me illustrate it this way. You look at a person who invests in the stock market and what are they constantly checking? The stock market. They want to know if it's up or if it's down because they've invested their money in the stock market. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures here on the earth. Because if you live for this world, you're going to be worried all the time about your stuff. But if you'll lay up treasures in heaven, 
You won't worry about all the things of this world. Now listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about our future. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to prepare and plan. But here's the thing. We shouldn't get so focused on this world that we forget about the world to come. Amen. Jesus tells us that we shouldn't be anxious about this life, what we're going to eat or drink or about the body, what we're going to put on. Jesus understood that worldly possessions is the cause of much of our worry. And that's creating the conflict that we see here in this text. It's, it's, it's their money, it's their stuff, it's their possessions. But it all started with a decision. It all started with disobedience. And now it's leading to the consequence that they're experiencing. Here's what I want to say about possessions. When God blesses, God doesn't add any sorrow to it. Look at Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow with it. You see, when God blesses someone, there's no regret. When God blesses somebody, there's contentment, there's happiness, and there is peace. In other words, there's no sorrow, there's no suffering, there's no, there's no worry. You'll be content when God blesses. But you see, here's the thing. Abraham, he got his wealth from Pharaoh. God wasn't the one that blessed him. He got it from Pharaoh. All because he went and did what he wanted to do. But here's another thing we see here in this chapter. Is that he's having to deal with a situation that goes back before he ever went to Egypt. Lot's presence is creating a problem for Abraham. Lot should have never been permitted to travel with him. God told Abraham to leave his family, his relatives, his home country, and go to a land that I will show you. Lot should have never traveled with him. And now we see that Lot's a thorn in his side. Just to make a play on Lot's name, Lot's creating a whole lot of trouble. The only person that should have left with Abraham was his wife because two become one. That's the only person that should have went with Abraham. Lot should have stayed in Ur of Chaldees. And so now God's created a situation where they have to separate. I'll say it like this. Here's a lesson. One way or another, God's will is going to be done. Abraham could have been obedient and obeyed God himself when he was back in Ur and he could have let Lot stay there. But he didn't. And so God providentially brought irritation and competition between Abram and Lot which forced a separation to occur. Sooner or later, God's purposes will come to pass. Let me, let me say it like this. If we don't feel the need for obedience, God will create one. You can count on it. If you feel like you don't need to obey God, God will allow a situation to come where you will have to obey Him. Jonah's a good illustration. God, you're too gracious, you're too merciful. If I go preach to the Ninevites, you're going to forgive them. So I'm not going to go. I'm going to flee to Tarshish and flee from the presence of God. And God's thinking, we'll see how that goes. So he gets on the boat to Tarshish. All of a sudden the storm comes. And who sent the storm? God sent the storm, didn't he? 
And Jonah knows he's the reason that the storm comes. And he tells him, hey, if you want this storm to go away, you've got to throw me overboard. I'm the reason that you're in this. And they tried everything they could to keep from throwing him overboard. They start throwing over the tackle. They start throwing over the cargo. He says, no, if you want to get rid of this storm, you've got to throw me overboard. They throw him overboard, and guess what? The storm ceases. And God sends a great big old fish. Swallow him up. And he has to spend three days and three nights in the belly of that whale before he ever repents and decides, okay, God, I'll go do what you want me to do. And then when he goes and does it, he's still mad. But he went and did what God told him to do because God's will is going to be done. You might be mad when you do it, but it's going to get done. Let me just say this. I hadn't always been happy when it came to doing what God wanted me to do. But it's gotten done. Amen? That's how God works. If God has something He wants done, it's going to get done. And if I don't want to do it willingly, God has a way of working in my life to make sure that it gets done. And that's for all of us. Abraham, he's having to live with the consequences of his disobedience. He's having to suffer and deal with this conflict and this chaos between him and Lot all because he disobeyed God back in chapter 12 by going down to Egypt. And the consequences aren't going to end here. He's going to deal with them later on still. And that's how it is in life. Things that we've done, they can keep on following us and they can show up in our children. They can show up in our grandchildren. We have to be very careful about the decisions and choices that we make because the consequences can carry on. Amen? We're going to reap what we've sown. You you, you can write this down. The consequences of sin may not show up immediately, but they will show up. The consequences of sin may not show up immediately, but they will show up. Well, let's move on to our next main point. And let's talk about dealing with conflict. As a result of his disobedience and making a wrong choice to go to Egypt, he now has conflict between himself and Lot. Lot is his nephew. He probably loved him like a son. That's probably the main reason he let Lot travel with him. He loved him like a son. But the question is, how does Abraham avoid this conflict? There's fighting and strife between his herdsmen and Lot's herdmen. I mean, they're on the verge of wanting to fight. They're on the verge of fussing. They're on the verge of, of splitting up. And Abram, he decides to deal with it. He decides to do like Barney Fife and nip it in the bud. But how does he deal with it? Let me give you just a couple of things. Letter A, you have to choose relationships over rights. You have to choose relationships over rights. Abraham chose to keep the peace rather than demand his own way. You see, he was the eldest. He was the chief of the clan and he had a right to choose whatever land he wanted and he could have let Lot take the leftovers. He could have told Lot, hey, God promised me the land. God promised to bless me. God told me that I was going to be blessed and Lot 
You can go this way and you can have this land and I'm going to take this plot of land. That's what Abraham could have done. But he chose the relationship over his rights. He chose to let Lot choose first because he didn't want to be divisive. Look at verse 8 again. Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Some translations say we are brothers. In other words, there's more that unites us than divides us. You see, rather than ruin a relationship over a piece of property, he practiced humility and preferred Lot over himself. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 2. Look at it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You don't find that being practiced much in our world today. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about looking after me. It's all about looking after my needs. It's all about looking after my wants. But the biblical thing to do is to look after other people. You know, Jesus, he preferred others. The Bible says that he took on the form of a servant. The Bible says that he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. Even though he was the son of God, he emptied himself and became a servant. He preferred other people above himself. And that's what we're supposed to do. If you want to avoid conflict, if you want to resolve hostility, prefer other people above yourself. Choose relationships over your own rights. Choose relationships instead of demanding your way all the time. Amen? You see, conflict is usually a result of selfishness. I want it my way. And that's the day in which we live. You know, Burger King, their motto is, have it your way. And that's how most people live their life. I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to have people cater to me. I'm going to have people do what I want them to do when I want them to do it. But if you want to resolve conflict, you can't be selfish all the time. You can't go around strutting around wanting people to cater to you and do what you want them to do all the time. You see, conflict arises because we want things our way. But if you want to end conflict, you can't demand the way things you want them to be. So much strife could be avoided in the family and in the church if we would put a premium on our relationship, set aside our rights, and let God take care of us. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, he said this, The spiritual Christian does not insist on his or her own rights, but gladly yields to others. That's what we need to do. Prefer other people. But here's the second thing. If you want to resolve conflict, Believe that God will take care of you. Abraham let Lot choose first, and we see that Lot chose what appeared to be the best land, which means that Abraham was going to have to trust God to take care of him. You see, because Abraham preferred Lot over himself, he was going to have to live by faith and believe that God was going to provide. He was going to have to believe that God was going to honor his promise to him. You see, by laying aside your rights, you're going to have to believe that God is going to come through for you. Because here's the thing. 
Conflict at times will put you in situations where it seems like others will benefit more than you do. Conflict at times will put you in situations where you, when you choose the relationship over your rights, it looks like others are going to get the upper hand over you. And that's when you have to believe that God's going to take care of you. You have to trust God and prefer people so that God can work everything else out. Look at verse 14 and 15. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. After Lot left, God speaks to Abraham again and reaffirms his promise to him to take care of him. Lot goes his way and God says, Hey, I haven't forgot my promise to you. Look everywhere you want to look, north, south, east, and west. Look at all this land. I'm going to give it to you. Because he preferred Lot and chose the relationship over his own rights. God said, hey, I'm going to honor my word to you. And I'm going to give you all this land. He believed that God would take care of him. And God said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your descendants. In fact, you go on to read and he says, hey, if you could number, look at the dust of the ground. If you could number the dust of the ground, that's how many your descendants are going to be. That's how you resolve conflict. Choose the relationship over your rights and just believe that God's going to take care of you. And He will. And that's what took place in the text. God took care of Abraham. The lesson we can take away from this is that it should be our aim and our goal to maintain unity and keep peace. We should be peacemakers, not troublemakers. You know, the Bible talks about blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And yet many times, if we aren't careful, we'll go around and start trouble. We should be peacemakers. And can I tell you what the biggest troublemaker in the church is? Is that right there? That's why God put it in its own cage. So we could keep it closed. Amen? But let's, let's look at some scripture. Romans twelve eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Notice that. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Look at the next one. Romans 14, 9. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue what makes for peace. If you're faced with a situation, look at it. Is this going to produce peace? Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And I know there's going to be some people who want to try to stir the pot and try to egg you on, but here's the thing. Strive for peace. Here, here, here's what I know. If, if people begin to raise their voice at you, if you'll try to stay calm, Usually they'll calm down. But if you get in a shouting match with somebody, all you're doing is throwing fuel on the fire. Amen? But if you can maintain your cool and stay collected, the fire goes out. 
Don't add more fuel to it. Strive for peace. Let's talk about our last thing, our, our third thing, making wise choices. Since we're always making choices, we've got to ask ourselves, how do we make good choices? Wise choices. How do we make choices that honor and please God? And I want to talk about big choices primarily, not just choices of what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear, but when it comes to, to major choices in life, how do we make choices that please God? How do we make choices that honor God? I want to say that first of all, our choices shouldn't be to merely satisfy ourselves. That's what so many people do. They want to live for themselves. They want to live just to satisfy and gratify themselves. But I believe as best as we can, we should discern God's will and choose in line with His will for our lives. I believe God's got a purpose. I believe God's got a plan. I believe God's got a destiny for us. And I believe as best as we can, we should have some discernment to find out what God wants and try to make decisions that are in line with what God wants for our lives. So how do we do that? Let me give you three principles for making some good, godly choices. Letter A, make choices which value godliness over greed. Make choices which value godliness over greed. By faith, Abraham had already renounced everything visible and opted for the unseen promises of God. So he had no need as Lot did to choose by sight. You'll notice in the passage that there is a deliberate contrast between verses 10 and 14. In verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and chose the land which looked the best to him. He took off for the good life and left Abram literally in the dust where there had just been a severe famine. In verse 14, as Abram is standing there wondering if he did the right thing, God tells him to look up and look in every direction. And God tells him, hey, all the land that you can see, it's going to be yours. You see, Lot chose by sight and he ended up spiritually and financially bankrupt. He escapes Sodom with the clothes on his back and fades out living in a cave. The things he saw and the things he accumulated didn't bring him the lasting happiness he expected. But Abraham chose by faith, not by sight, and he ended up spiritually and financially blessed. Lot lived for greed and came up empty, but Abraham lived for God and came up full. Amen? So the question we've got to answer is this, how can we know whether or not we're under the influence of greed? Charles Simeon, he's a, he was a 19th century British pastor, and he offered three helpful criteria for evaluating ourselves. First of all, he says this, we, we can judge ourselves by the manner in which we seek the things of the world. We can judge ourselves by the manner in which we seek the things of the world. In other words, if we find ourselves thinking more about the things of this world and how to get them than we do about God, we're under the influence of greed. If we think more about the things of this world and how they bring us pleasure more than we think about God and how God brings us pleasure, we're under the influence of greed. If we're willing to violate our conscience and neglect spiritual duties to pursue the things of this world, we're governed by greed. Secondly, he says this, we, we can judge ourselves by the manner in which we enjoy the things of this world. 
See, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God provides us, but if we start thinking, if I had such and such, I would be happy. Or if we think that by getting so much in the bank, we'll be secure from the trials of life, then we've shifted our trust from God to material things and we are governed by greed. And there's a lot of people who live their lives like that. If I could just have so much in the bank, or if I could just get this, or if I could just get that, then I'll be happy. I will have arrived They're governed by greed. But he gives us a third thing. We judge it. We can judge ourselves by the manner in which we mourn the loss, the things of this world. We can judge ourselves by the manner in which we mourn the loss of the things of this world. You see, we aren't as believers to be devoid of feelings. But here Simeon is getting at the principle which enabled Job when he lost all his worldly possessions to say the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It enabled Paul to be content with much over little because Christ was his sufficiency. In other words, if our joy rides on our possessions or if we're filled with anxiety and grief, if we lose the things of this world, we're governed by greed more than we are God. And there's a lot of people get tore up and heartbroken when they lose the things of this world. That's why we're to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Amen. I don't want to be governed by greed. But here's the second thing, letter B. Make choices which value fellowship with God over the approval of the world. Make choices which value fellowship with God over the approval of the world. We often criticize Lot for moving to Sodom, but it's often not mentioned that both Abraham and Lot lived in corrupt cultures. To compare the Canaanites with the Sodomites is like comparing Stalin with Hitler. The Sodomites rated a 10 on the wickedness scale and the Canaanites a 9.5. So you have to ask, why did Abraham remain untainted but Lot became corrupted? You find the answer in verse 18. Look at it. Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. That's the difference. We see the two things here that marked Abram's life of faith. The tent... And the altar. Abram the pilgrim just passing through, and Abram the worshiper bearing witness to a pagan world. Abram understood this world wasn't his home, and Abram had fellowship with God. That's what made the difference in his life versus Lot's life. Here's the thing you don't ever find Lot building an altar in Sodom, and he traded his tent for a townhouse. He said, here's the thing, when you find out around verse 11 or so, it says that he pitched his tent near Sodom. At first, he's on the outskirts of Sodom. He eventually settles down in Sodom. All of a sudden, he's sitting on the town council of Sodom. Why? Because he never had an altar. He never had time with God. Read it. 
You never find an instance of Lot seeking God. Even him probably watching Abraham building altars, worshiping God, calling out to God. You never find Lot seeking after God. So he traded his tent for a town home. And he settled down in Sodom. In fact, when it comes time later for Sodom and Gomorrah to be destroyed, he has to be grabbed by the hand and be drug out to leave. And his wife apparently is so attached that she looks back and turns to a pillar of salt. But Abraham, on the other hand, lived in fellowship with God and he became known as the friend of God. You see, as believers, we're always going to have this tension. If we pull out of the world too far, we lose our witness because there's no contact. But if we blend in too much with the world, we lose our fellowship with God and our witness to the world. We always have that tension. We always have that struggle. You see, Jesus was the friend of sinners, but He was never tainted by their sin because He put a premium on fellowship with the Father and He never sought the approval of the world. He was in the world with a clear sense of His mission to glorify the Father and to seek and to save the lost. If we want to line up with Abram rather than with Lot, we've got to be people of the tent and the altar, pilgrims and worshipers here to bear witness. In other words, we've got to remember that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. That we're just passing through, but we've got to also stay in contact with God. Because listen, that's the only way you can overcome sin is to stay in contact with God. Amen? Because here's the thing, the moment you stop worshiping God, the moment you get away from the altar, you start allowing things into your life that you once wouldn't allow into your life. So you've got to remember the tent and the altar. Amen? We've got to put fellowship with God above the approval of the world in all our decisions. But thirdly, let her see... Make choices which value God's eternal promises over immediate pleasure. Lot's choice of Sodom was based on what would bring him quick gratification, but he didn't take into account God's promise to Abraham about the land. In other words, the Bible says that Lot looked up and he saw the well-watered valley of Jordan. In fact, it reminded him of Egypt. Read your Bible, isn't that what it says? It looked like the gar- it says it looked like the Garden of Egypt, but Garden of Eden, but it also reminded him of, of Egypt. In other words, Lot liked what he saw in Egypt. And that's why he went towards Sodom. He made an immediate decision to satisfy his flesh. But Abraham let God decide for him. He hung on to the promise of God. And if we're going to make good decisions, we've got to value God's eternal promises over immediate pleasure. Amen? See, we've got to live by faith in the promises of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, most of us want to seek the other things first and add the kingdom of God later in our spare time. It don't work that way. 
Or we want to seek the things of this world and we want God to bless it. It doesn't work that way. You've got to seek God first, seek His kingdom first. And God will take care of you. So the next time you face a decision that involves a major commitment of your time or even a move to a different location, you've got to make the decision based on how it will affect your own and your family's commitment to the kingdom, not on financial factors alone. If the extra hours and the move will bring you more money, you've got to ask yourself, why do we want more money? You see, that was one thing when it comes to Tanya being offered more money at her current job. Why do we want more money? Certainly, it'll, it'll, it'll help pay bills, but here's the thing. Why do we want more money? More money, it seems to always be good, but here's the thing. More money, isn't always better. Most, I mean, you ask most people in the world, and they'll say more money is always good, but here's the thing. More money, isn't always better. Do you want more money so, so you can give more to missions? Do you want more money so you can do more of God's work? If the bottom line is so you can spend more and buy more, God's kingdom isn't first. One great lesson that we can take away here, in fact, a couple of lessons I want to give you here. I want you to write this down. What you see is not necessarily what you should seek. What you see is not necessarily what you should seek. It's dangerous to base decisions on what you see alone. In fact, think about this for a moment. Satan tempts us with what we seek, the lust of the eye. What First John chapter 2 talks about, the lust of the eye. Satan, he'll tempt us through what we see. Like a colorful lure on the end of a fish hook, the enemy wants to catch people through what is seen. Satan tempted Eve through what? Through the tree. Through what she saw. Achan went to his ruin because he sought after what he saw. Satan tempted Jesus with what he put before him to to see. If we choose based only on what we see, it will lead to trouble. Lot chose based on what he saw and he never considered what it would cost him. He saw the financial benefits to his decision, but he never considered how it would affect him spiritually. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. This is talking about Lot. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. He tormented his righteous soul day after day. Some translations say he vexed his, vexed his righteous soul daily by living in Sodom. He tormented himself by living there. He was out of place. He also never thought how his decision would affect his family. He lost his wife. She got so attached that when it comes time to leave, she looked back and turned to a pillow. He lost his wife. Because of his daughters being brought up in that kind of atmosphere, that their morals were messed up and they seduced him and caused him to have incest. Just because something looks good doesn't mean that it is good. 
He looked and he saw, man, it's, it's, it's luscious, it's green, it's well watered, and that's the direction I'm going. He probably thought, I'm getting the upper hand on Abraham. But Lot found out the hard way. You can't choose based on what you see. And I'm afraid that sometimes we find out the hard way because we make decisions on what we see alone. If possible, never make a decision by sight alone. What you see isn't always what you get. Amen? In other words, looks can be deceiving. When Wiersbe, he said this, Abraham's eyes were on the holy city of God and he went on to walk with the Lord and inherit blessing. Lot's eyes were on the sinful cities of men. He went on to worldly success, spiritual failure, and a shameful end. Where are you looking this evening? Are you looking to heaven or to the world? This is important because where you look will determine how you live. Think about that. Where you look will determine how you live. If you keep your eyes on heaven, you'll want to live for Him. But if you keep your eyes on this world, you'll start swaying. You'll start drifting. Because where you look will determine how you live. Another lesson we can take away from this is that prayer should be a vital role in every decision that we make. Abraham had an altar. He spent time with God. And as I've already said, in Genesis 12 and 13, Lot is never said to have an altar. There isn't any hint that he ever spent time with God or sought God about anything he did. He, he had no altar. He had no period of waiting on God. He, he looked out there and he saw it beautiful. He saw it green. He saw it well watered. And he didn't say, God, should I go this way? Nothing. And look where he ended up. John Phillips said this in his commentary, a man who was weak in his devotions and worldly in his desires will inevitably be wrong in his decisions. Let me read that one more time. A man who was weak in his devotions and worldly in his desires will inevitably be wrong in his decisions. Wow. Here's the thing. If it weren't for 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, you would think that Lot's a lost man. If it weren't for 2 Peter 2 and 8 that talked about him being a righteous man and, and tormenting his righteous soul, you would think that Lot was a lost man and you would think that Lot's in hell. You see, by his actions, by his choices, by, by the way he lived, he doesn't look to be a righteous man. But the Bible says he was. But the point I want to make is this. Had Lot sought God, I believe things would have been different in his life. Had he been a man of prayer, I believe his life could have turned out differently. I believe had he been a man of prayer, I believe had he, had he been a man that had an established an altar, God could have got him out of Sodom so much sooner. That's just me speculating. We know that God got him out before he destroyed it, but had he been a man of prayer, things could have been so much different. I wonder tonight how things could be so much different in our, our life if we would be people committed to prayer. When we fail to seek God, we will make a lot of wrong decisions in life. 
Prayer has to be a priority in our decision making. It has to be. If not, we may find ourselves spiritually in a place like Sodom. Making some wrong decisions. So in closing, we have to examine the choices we make because they will have consequences. One of them may be conflict. And tonight if you're in a situation of where you're dealing with conflict, you need to do what you can to resolve it. Don't go in fussing and fighting and screaming and punching. But go in with humility. Go in with meekness. And asking God, God, how can I resolve this? God, how can I handle this? And I believe that God will give you the grace and the strength and the know-how to get through it and see it come to an end. I believe God can bring peace to it. Amen. Let's take a few moments and go to the Lord in prayer. Would you stand with me?